though Jesus fulfills all of these perfectly. Last week, we looked at our need for contentment and to, uh, to be satisfied uh, with what we already have. Contentment we defined as a, a satisfaction with what is already ours. Now, uh, one thing, you know, a few of you asked me after last week, and uh, maybe I should clarify this, that a reminder that, that contentment doesn't mean that things never change. Contentment doesn't mean that I never seek to change anything. Contentment means that when I seek to change or when I seek and, and allow things to change, whatever that is in my life, uh, that it's with the right heart and with the right reasons, that there's a need for it, that it's, if it doesn't happen, I'm still okay, I'm going to be all right. But that doesn't mean that, that nothing ever changes. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, if you're a family and you have three kids that you need to be content with your Pinto. It's okay if you want a minivan. And if you buy a minivan, that's not, you're not, you know, you're not reneging on your contentment, right? But it's just where, it's an issue of the heart, isn't it? Contentment is. And, and Jesus says that our contentment then is in him. And when our heart is stayed on him, then uh, I'm not focused on the things of this world. We talked about that hymn, you know, the things of this world uh, just fade away in the light of his glory and grace. And, uh, and it's true, um, but, but it means that um, as things change, my heart has stayed not on these things that change or on the things I wish that were, but on Jesus himself. Does that make sense? So, so don't ever think that contentment means that I'm just stuck. That's not contentment, right? Contentment is I'm satisfied fully and completely with who Jesus is and with uh, who he is for me. Amen? And, and today we're going to look at this, this other, another one of our needs, this need for direction. Or maybe a better word for it is our need for guidance. Our need for guidance. Um, uh, men, have you ever asked for directions? No, I see the laughs tell me everything I need to know. Uh, I read this this week that this should be a bumper sticker for men's cars. Real men don't stop and ask for directions. What do you think? <laughs> a few claps. Typical of, of men, of which I'm one, uh, a lot of times we're willing to drive aimlessly for a seeming eternity without stopping to ask for directions. Anybody fall into that category? Now, you know, the thing is, though, it's, it's a lot easier to drive aimlessly and still have a little direction because of Siri in your pocket, Right? You can ask her and she can be uh, giving you directions and you don't have to ask for directions as much. Sometimes that's a helpful thing. But, but it's true that a lot of us, we just don't want to ask for directions because uh, one, it just seems like a lot of extra work. And two, if we're honest, really it just reveals pride in our heart, doesn't it? But isn't it true that many Christians live this way as it relates to following Jesus and to living the Christian life, that a lot of times we'll live uh, like men drive cars without ever stopping to ask for direction. Sorry, men, if you're one who asks for directions, I don't mean to offend you by lumping you in with the rest of us, but isn't it true that sometimes we live our lives that way? And we just think, I'm going to figure it out. I'll be okay. Or sometimes we're scared to ask directions because we don't maybe even want the direction that we think God might give us. Because that could be a scary thing to have to actually follow him. And uh, it's not unlike sheep. Do you know sheep are really stubborn as well? They're some of the most stubborn animals, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient animals on the earth. 
they persist in pursuing old paths that they've already taken. Uh, Sheep have no sense of direction. A dog or a cat or a horse, um, if it gets loose, a lot of times there's kind of an internal compass. They'll eventually find their way back home, right? Uh, You can take your dog about five miles away, drop him out of the car, go home, and he'll be there uh, a half hour later. Like they just, they can find their way home. Sheep can't do that. They have no sense of direction of finding their way back. They seem to have no internal compass. Uh, Not only that, but do you know they have poor eyesight? They can't see very well. I was reading a little bit this week that they can't see 10 or 15 yards ahead, barely. And they need a shepherd. They need someone to guide them. Isn't it curious then that, that all over in Scripture, Jesus refers to us, the Lord refers to us as sheep? Stubborn, self-willed lot of people with poor eyesight. We can only see so far ahead. Uh, no real internal compass of direction. We're totally reliant on the Holy Spirit to give us that. And we need someone, we need a shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to lead us. And he leads and directs in paths of righteousness, we read in the text this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 23. And uh, I, I, we started quoting it earlier, but uh, before we even get there, um, did you know Jesus actually makes some comments toward this end that he gives direction and that he gives guidance? One, he calls himself a shepherd, right? He calls himself the good shepherd. And he says, as the shepherd, I, I, part of, we, we read it actually last week, that, that he's never going to lose any of the sheep that his father gives him. But there was another statement that he makes, one of his I am statements, that he makes in John chapter 8, that, that really, uh, when you understand the context of it, gives a lot of insight into the way that he leads and gives direction to people. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, uh, the text says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Now, he says this during a feast uh, that would happen every fall among the Jewish people called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a week long, it was celebrating uh, harvest, and uh, people would gather. And one of the things, though, that they would do at the Feast of Tabernacles is they would erect these giant candelabras, these huge lamps in the temple courts, four of them. And they, 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 they stretched up way above the temple walls. If you, if you get home later today and you Google Feast of Tabernacle uh, lamps, you'll probably find pictures or renderings of what it would, look, would have looked like or might have looked like. And these four big lamps, the priests would fill uh, with, uh, they're just giant, think of, think of a light post in town, but instead of a lamp on the end, it's a big candelabra on the top. And they would fill these things with gallons and gallons and gallons of oil, and then giant wicks. And they'd put the wicks in them, and the priests would light them at night during the Feast of Tabernacles, and this light would light up the whole temple court. And it would even light, uh, by some accounts, beyond the temple into the city. To the point that on the temple mount, like on the steps leading up uh, to the temple, there would be dancing and singing and rejoicing and playing of all kinds of different instruments and all kinds of things going on at night, uh, this nightlife under the the lamps that were lit. And, And for us, we think, okay, that's not, you know, okay, that'd be like us setting up some spotlights. But think of it in their day, where there there was no electricity, Uh, Your only light at night was a candle or a small lamp. 
And certainly there was, there was rarely enough light to light up uh, a whole area of people and uh, at night and to have this big area lit up in the city and where people were dancing and celebrating. And can you imagine that? In this time of darkness, there was great light, this light that would light up the entire city. And then Jesus comes along during this same thing. And look what he says. He says, um, by the way, uh, I am the light, uh, not just of the Temple Mount, not just of the city, but of the whole world. I'm the light of the whole world. Now, imagine if you lived in that day and everything was dark and all of a sudden you have light and you can, uh, you can see. I think I've told you one of my favorite movies is The Sandlot. Kind of like when they play the night game under the fireworks. Like, that's kind of what I picture. Like, everybody's just out and about at night. And, and Jesus is like, listen, I don't just give uh, light to a small place, I give it to the whole world. And he uses this object lesson to say, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus, uh, I point to this to say, Jesus is the one who gives us more. He is more than enough for our sense of direction and for guidance in life. He, he says it right there. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He will not walk in darkness. He, he won't walk in a way where he's uh, con- confused all the time or without any sense of direction or without any sense of purpose or hope. But following Jesus, he's the light of the world and he gives light in the midst of darkness throughout a dark world. Amen? And so with that in mind, now let's turn over to Psalm 23, where we're described... Uh, where the psalmist describes the Lord as his shepherd, as our shepherd. And we know that Jesus is, is, is really the one in mind here, that Jesus is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. <clears throat> he restores my soul. Think of some of those truths right there, that, that Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I shall not be in want. I shall not be in need is really what the psalmist has in mind. That that all of my needs will be met. But it's curious that he uses not the word that I I won't be in need, but I I shall not want. That the, the shepherd gives so abundantly that I won't even want or be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep are stubborn sometimes, right? And sometimes the shepherd not just leads you to green pastures, but he goes, um, pushes you down. This is where you're going to lie and eat. Sometimes a green pasture doesn't seem so green to us, but the Lord knows that as he leads us there and he makes us to lie down there, that it will be a green pasture for us to, to feed us and to nurture us and prepare us for the way that's yet to come. A couple other observations here quickly before we get to verse three. He leads me beside still waters. You know, sheep won't drink from running water. So the shepherd would have to find a water that was still for them to be able to drink. So he, he, he's providing for us the whole time, isn't he? As a good shepherd. He restores my soul. One of the things the shepherd does is, is would restore his sheep to health. If a sheep would wander off repeatedly... You've seen the, the image of Jesus with the sheep over his shoulder, right? You ever see that stained glass window or flannel graph as a kid? Do you know the context of it? 
that he's not just carrying around a sheep to say, hey, this is my sheep, I love him. This was a sheep that had wandered off. And after it wandered off, uh, so many times, the shepherd would go snap one of its legs and then carry it around on his shoulders so that the sheep would get used to hearing his voice all the time while he healed. So that after he healed, he would lay him down, he would restore him, and he would follow the shepherd again because he would know his voice after hearing it day in and day out, being incapacitated on his own. It brings new light to that stained glass window, doesn't it? But the, the, the place I want to camp out today is the end of verse 3, the second half of it. it. It says, he leads me, the shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, literally, that could be translated, he leads me in right paths or in level paths. That, that phrase is used over and over and over in scripture that, that God would make level the way of the righteous. Um, that it wouldn't be ups and downs through life, but it'd be, it'd be level. And that's a good thing to pray for, I think. I think it's an okay thing to pray for. The psalmist does often for God to make his paths level. But here he says, he leads me in paths of, of righteousness, in right paths for his name's sake. But I, I see four observations here that I want to share with you about the way that Jesus guides us, about the way that God guides us. Sound good? Can I share those with you? Maybe they'll be helpful for you in seeking Jesus to be the one to give you guidance and to be more than enough for you in his guidance. Number one, uh, God's desire is that we would pursue him more than his guidance. That we would pursue him more than his guidance. And really, we probably back up to the beginning of verse three for this one, that he restores my soul. Think of that sheep that's wandered off over and over and over. And what's the shepherd's desire for that sheep as he wraps him around his shoulders and carries him around? That the sheep would learn his voice, right? And so that in the future, the sheep wouldn't be, be reliant on just kind of looking and, and searching for whatever. He would, he would search after the shepherd and he would listen for the shepherd's voice and that's what would give him his guidance. God, God's heart isn't so much that we would get... Uh, guidance for like the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 45 years, but that we would seek him. That we wouldn't just seek his direction, but that we would seek him. That he would be uh, the desire of our heart. Because in seeking God, that's when his plan gets revealed. You know, the most important principle for discovering God's will for your life, so to speak, is to seek God above all else. If you, Pastor Kirk taught on this at Doctrine Wednesday a couple weeks ago, that, that God's will for your life is much more like a, a, a roadmap than it is a blueprint. Or that's not the word you used. What did you Game plan than, than a, a, a blueprint. A blueprint is very specific, very exact. And if I, if I make one mistake, I screw up the whole building, right? But, but God's desire is for you. Now, it's not that God doesn't know all these things about your past and about your future. He does. But his desire and your obedience to him isn't necessarily to build this perfect building. It's to take your next step of obedience, to follow him. That's what true discipleship is. It's what's your next step of obedience. For someone who's a brand new Christian in the very back of the line, that's a pretty simple step, step isn't it? And we might look at it and go, that's all the farther you are? Yeah, because that's where they're at. So that's their next step of obedience. And then someone way over here, 
who's been walking with the Lord for decades, what's their next step of obedience? Well, maybe it's to, to, to give more of their time, talent, or treasure. Maybe it's uh, to, to start investing in people who are in the back of the line so that more disciples and new people would be raised up. You see what I'm saying? That discipleship is that next step of obedience, and God's will for you is simply to take that next step. It's not so much a blueprint as it is a game plan. And uh, when, when I referenced Kirk's message, one of the things he, he said, and I think he's right on, is that Ultimately, if you're obeying what you know, if you're obeying what you know to be true, taking that next step of obedience, you cannot make a wrong decision. Think about that. If you're seeking the Lord, loving him, doing what's obedient to him, you cannot make a wrong decision. You can't. You might have three options in front of you, but if all of them are honoring to him, you pray about it, you make a decision, you can't make a wrong one. God's will is, is, is in some ways too, even like, a, um, well, think of this room. If this was the, the sheep pen, right? And it was fenced in and or maybe the pasture, let's say it that way. You got a little more room to roam. And, and anywhere, as long as you're inside the, these walls, inside of this fence, in the pasture, you're in God's will. That means you can go anywhere within it with freedom and with joy. But as soon as you cross over, you're out of his will. You've sinned. You need to come back. And, and God's will then, if, if you want his guidance, his desire is you pursue him more than just his direction and, and specific things that you pursue him. Because that's where he reveals those specifics. David wrote, he leads me. The good shepherd leads him. It's not an it or a thing. The guide is a loving father, a good shepherd. Uh, God's guidance, it's relational. He loves you. He cares about you. Um, think if you moved into a new town, what would you prefer? You're trying to find your way, uh, I don't know, somewhere in town, maybe to the grocery store, and, and you're in this new place, and you don't, you don't know anything, and you don't have your phone, you, you can't get directions off of that. You just, what would you prefer? Would you prefer um, that somebody just, uh, you talk to them on the phone, and they say, yeah, uh, go two blocks, two blocks north, one block east, a couple blocks further north and then three blocks west and then go around the roundabout and head south three blocks and you'll be there. But don't go too far because that's a one way and you're not going to make it there. Would you prefer that? Or would you prefer a neighbor who said, actually, I'm, I'm heading there myself. Why don't you just follow me? Which would you prefer? <laughs> the second, right? Isn't that true that that's how God leads? He's like a shepherd who leads us. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily give us every uh, specific turn in the road and, and how to get there. He, Jesus just says, follow me. I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me will, will not walk in darkness. Just follow him for that next step of obedience. And that really leads to the second observation, uh, that God's guidance is concerned, uh, I believe, more with the present than it is with the future. God's guidance is concerned more with the present than it is the future. Now, it's not to say that he doesn't care about the future. Don't hear that. He cares. He cares deeply about your future and my future and the future of his church. But in terms of his leading and of his guidance, it's much more concerned with this very moment than it is 10 years from now. And in that case, asking what's the will of God for my life, it might be the wrong question. 
We usually have in mind some decision we've got to make regarding the future about which we're just uncertain. But the will of God has less to do with the future and more to do with the present. We might not know in precise terms what God wants us to do in the future. He's, he's much more concerned about the present. That's why David writes here, he leads me along right paths. That word leads, it's an active verb. Now, has the Lord led him in the past? Yes. Will the Lord lead him in the future? Yes. But what's David concerned with here in Psalm 23? That he leads me right now in paths of righteousness. Again, it comes down to what's that next step of obedience for you? Do you really want to know God's will? Do you really want his guidance? Obey what you already know to be true. And then he reveals the next step. Do you know Psalm 119, 105? Do you know that, that verse? I bet you do, and you don't realize you know it, many of you. Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path, right? Now, um, when the psalmist wrote that, he didn't have a mag light in mind that like shined this beam way out in front of him, did he? He had a lamp in mind. Your word is a lamp to where? My feet for the next step for the next step of obedience. And it's a light to my path that I, that I stay on the path, but it's not way out in the future. It's just, it's right here, this next step of obedience. His word is a lamp to your feet. God's, God's guidance is much more concerned with this present moment than it is with 10 years from now. And again, that's not because he doesn't care about those 10 years, but your obedience now is what helps get you to the places he wants you to be in 10 years. So if you obey him now, you can't make a wrong decision. Now, here's something that's really curious about this. Tell me if, if you ever experienced this. Do you ever look back in your life with a bunch of regret? Anybody? Anybody look at anything in their past? Yeah, we all do, don't we? We all have regrets over things in our past. And, and so if, if I'm always focusing on God's leading as uh, maybe I'm focused in it in the past and I go, man, if only... If only I hadn't made that decision. If only I had made that decision. If only, if only, if only, and I live a life full of regret. On the flip side, I could, I could look at God's guidance and always forgetting about right now, I'm always looking to the future. And you know what that produces in me? <laughs> a lot of anxiety. Because what if? If only back then, but now what if? And what if I don't get it right? And what if... Uh, you know, think when you're in college, and some of you maybe who are, you're at that stage of life. What if I marry the wrong person? What if I don't get married? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if something happens to my children? What if they don't follow the Lord? What if, what if, what, what, what if? What if I get cancer? What if I get really sick? What if something? That's a lot of anxiety to carry around, isn't it? How about that's why God's leading and his guidance says, let me worry about that. Take the next step of obedience. His guidance is much more concerned with the present than it is with either the past or the future. Uh, Psalm 3, right, or Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? Make your paths straight. That seems to back up exactly what I just said, doesn't it? Or really, we should say what I just said seems to line up well with what Scripture already says. 
thankfully. That, that if we obey him in the present, he'll make our path straight. I, I don't need to worry and have anxiety about the future. Because I just need to obey him today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's just focus on today. Because that's all I have. And God's guidance is much more concerned with the present than the future. He's also more concerned we, we trust the guide than his guidance. And then third, God's guidance has less to do with my location than it does with my character. God's guidance has much less to do with my location than it does my character. What do I mean by that? David wrote that he leads me along the right paths. He leads me in paths of righteousness. It it means the way that's right before God and before men. God's more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. He, He wants us to be right and to do right, to be pure and holy and clean. And his supreme plan for us is in Romans 8, 29, right? Do you know that? Romans 8, 28 says that, uh, that, that God works all things together for good uh, in the end, right? For those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And then it says in verse 29, right after, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That his plan, you know what his will for your life is? He's shaping you to be like Jesus. And so in that realm, whatever decisions you have in front of you that would honor him, you can't make a wrong decision. Now pray about it, trust him, and sometimes he'll give you very specific instruction and direction. I promise you, he does that. Other times, he is deathly silent, and you just need to make a choice that would honor him. But do it in confidence, knowing that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you can't make a wrong choice in that way. And he's more concerned with your character than he is with which of those decisions you make. He's more concerned with your character than your location. He's more concerned that that I'm growing to be more like Jesus than he is that I live in Indiana or Iowa or Minnesota or California or India or Belgium or wherever it is. He's more concerned that I become more like Jesus, right? Right? That's what he's most concerned about. He's more concerned that you're growing in your faith and in your knowledge of his word than he is with where you find a job. Now, he's concerned you find a job. He cares about that. And it's good for you to work. It's a healthy thing. But he's more concerned with who you are than where you work or where you live. Now, hear me again. I've said it over and over. It's not to say that he doesn't care about those things. He does. But what's he more concerned about? You, becoming, you and I becoming more like Jesus. His guidance has less to do with my location than it does with my character. And here's a fourth one as we close this morning. Do you realize that in God's guiding you and in his guiding me, that he has more at stake than you or I do? Think about that for a second. In God's guidance of me and in my life, God actually has more at stake in it than I do. Look at verse 3 again. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? Somebody say it. For his name's sake. For, for God's sake. 
You know, you could find this phrase over and over and over and over in the Psalms and in Isaiah and Jeremiah and other places throughout the Old Testament. Where this, the Psalms especially, they, they, they speak of, Lord, uh, do this for your namesake. Do this for your glory. Do this, uh, you know, Isaiah, not unto us, but unto you be the glory. For your name's sake. That all of this is about Jesus. That's one of our core values, right? It's all about Jesus. And if that's true, he has a lot more at stake in it than we do. We often want to know and do God's will for our sake, right? Because I want to know. <laughs> Remember the old phrase, inquiring minds want to know? Remember those old commercials? Anybody? Am I? Nobody. Okay, I do. And, uh, <laughs> right? and they'd advertise the paper and it's like, well, I, want to, I want to know. I want to, I want to know. But God's like, no, my guidance is more about my sake than your sake. So I'm just going to give you the next step or the next week, or the next month, or the next year, and then just trust me for the future. He has more at stake than I do. Knowing God's will, we think, is going to make us happy or cause us to be blessed or give us provision, but what's, what's curious, God says, no, I want you to know my will and do my will for my sake, for his glory, for his renown. Let's go back to our image of the shepherd. For whose benefit do the sheep exist? Does the shepherd exist for the sheep or do the sheep exist for the shepherd? Which is it? Ultimately. For, for, let, me, let, me, let me say it this way. For whose benefit is the shepherd good to the sheep? Primarily. The sheep's benefit or his benefit? I would argue for his benefit. Why? Well, he's going to sell the sheep. He's going to sell their wool. He wants to make a profit. This is his livelihood. He wants to make a living. Well, the imagery then of God as our shepherd and we as his sheep, who has more at stake? The shepherd does. He cares about us, not unselfishly, for his own glory, for his own renown. Um, Sheep are expected to produce a profit for the shepherd. The shepherd took care of them, not just for their benefit, but for the shepherd's desire. So God's reputation is at stake in how we live and how we obey and in how he gives guidance. He hasn't made a mistake by not giving you every detail for the next five, 10 years. He hasn't made a mistake by only giving you enough light for your next step of obedience, amen? So in all of this then, I want to argue that Jesus is the one who we ought to seek. He's the shepherd. Seek his voice and he'll give you guidance. Seek after him. He's the light of the world. He'll light your next step of obedience to you. I promise he will. Seek him because he's concerned about your character more than he is uh, your location and what you're doing. And seek him because ultimately it's all about him anyway. It's about his glory. Amen? But this time we're going to take our offering. Uh, I'm going to pray, then we're going to take our offering. But please stay seated after we take our offering. And if you're a guest, uh, we don't ask you to give anything. We actually have a gift for you when you leave. Um, but then we're going to pass out the elements for communion after that. And Pastor Kirk is going to lead us in, in taking communion. So uh, just, just receive those and remain seated. And I'm going to pray as the worship team comes forward. And uh, then we'll, we'll sing together as we close our service. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, that he is the light of the world, that he gives guidance. 
Lord, um, it's easy for us to live uh, in the past with regret or uh, so focused on the future that, that really all our present is is a big ball of anxiety. When you call us to live in the present and to trust you and to obey you for our next step of obedience. Lord, you are a shepherd and you love us and you care for us and you uh, restore us and you lead us in paths of righteousness for your sake, for your glory. So Jesus, be the light unto our path this week and uh, give each of us courage to trust you and take that next step of obedience. Father, I pray for those who maybe never trusted you today, uh, who hear my voice, that, um, that they might take that next step of obedience of becoming a Christian of uh, trusting you with their life, of repenting of their sin and Jesus turning from themselves to you. You offer to save them and to make them new and to become their shepherd and their guide. And I pray if, uh, if, if that's tugging on their heart today, Holy Spirit, would you cause them to make that decision even now? And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.